Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Sample Hour. I am very pleased um, and excited to have a guest. Uh, I recently, as I've said on previous podcasts, I'm going to start into urban farming. And my good friend Joel said when uh, he's helping me with this whole venture, said, you know, the first book you really got to read is uh, Jean-Martin Forti's book. He's a, he's, a mar- he's a market gardener out of Quebec. I mean, he actually has an awesome book called The Market Gardener. And actually, oddly enough, which I thought was really cool, was you competed for the number one seller for a little bit with Fifty Shades of Grey, which I thought was pretty awesome. <laughs> and uh, everybody, I mean, I have both the ebook and the uh, and the hardcover. And I think everybody, especially if you want to grow food, I think his book um, lays out, it has visual diagrams, it has pretty much just a, a fountain and wealth of knowledge. Um, you've been micro farming for 15 years, pretty much from the book. This year is the 15th. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, just really excited to have you on. And, and one thing that really kind of stands out is, um, the intro of your book really kind of painted a picture for me with, you know, something not only like, you know, there's a lot of benefits to market farming, but mainly like, you know, your lifestyle. And I think, you know, your lifestyle and you, you have the ability to your wife and you have the ability to raise your kids and, and, and kind of have engaged relationships with your children due to market gardening. You have a successful business from it. And I really just wanted to have you on to tell your story about, you know, how you got started, why you chose to start start farming and and everything like that. So because um, I know you, you went to school. So so um, so and Jean-Martin. Um, you know, if you want to give a brief background about yourself, that would be great. Well, first thing, Drew, you can call me JM. Okay. Because it's easier good. that way. <laughs> so that's I don't have my to butcher. nickname. So, <laughs> so I don't have to butcher When we're intimate, we can call each other like that. And so my background, to, to make a, a, a long story short, is I, I grew up in the suburbs. I used to skateboard and snowboard in the winter because we're in Norton, Canada here. Yeah. And, uh, I knew nothing about farming. I wasn't interested in farming at all. And um, I graduated from the McGill School of Environment. So I had studied ecology, environment. I was very much interested in, in outdoor activity. I used to be a tree planter. Then I, I would go in summers, mushroom picking up north. And <clears throat> at one point, I just felt that I wanted to have, you know, a work a career that was meaningful in terms of creating a positive impact. And, you know, when you're, when you're young, sometimes you think in that way. And I think that's a great thing. And me and my wife were really, you know, scratching our heads thinking, what are we going to do that is, you know, meaningful in terms of restoring the ecology of, of planet earth and, and have fun doing it because that was the other part. We, you know, we're all about having fun. And so we made a trip. And we did lots of stuff. We went to Mexico. We worked on coffee farms, looked at fair trade, what was happening over there, how we could get involved. That didn't really work out long term. So then we went to to New Mexico and northern New Mexico. We built earth ships in the desert. And that was great. We did that for a summer and had fun. And at, at, at the same time, we started to woof on a small organic farm. And that for us was really the start of an adventure that we've been hooked on ever since, which is being outside, you know, growing food and selling it directly to people who are, you know, heartily interested in, in, in buying local from, 
from uh, from organic farmers, and and that's what we've been doing ever since. That's awesome. So so what like so so it really kind of just started from like you know wanting to make a difference. You probably did. You have like a lot of you know you, you saw a lot of ill in the world, and you're like you know I I want to I, I want my life to have more of a purpose. You know I want to I want to make be able to make a difference. And I think it's funny because so many people. Like, like the one thing that I've noticed, even for myself, was that it's like so simple, but just just growing food for some reason it's so liberating. But you really can make a direct impact on so many people's lives. Yeah, and 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 in so many ways, because even from an intellectual point of view, you can look at this and say, okay, so I'm I'm a local grower. I'm using Earth to generate something. You know, I'm not just buying a product from mass production or from an industrialized process, I'm starting from scratch. I'm putting seeds in the ground. I'm using soil. I'm using water. I'm using, you know, sunlight to grow something. So that in itself is a pretty empowering process for you. But then you're bringing this to a farmer's market or a CSA program, and you're selling directly without any middleman to somebody else who is, you know, buying quality food from you so you're you know whatever way you can look at this you know i dare anyone to come up with something wrong about all of this it's it's just positive all the way through and and for us that was kind of obvious at first sight but then the big challenge was okay that sounds great but you know you're going to be poor doing this or it's not going to work or you know farming is Farming is is too much hard work, too much investment, too much that, too much that. And, you know, there's a lot of discouragement around farming because farming is a hard task. And but you know that didn't keep us away from it. And we've kind of we faced all the problems that young people face when they want to start a farm. It's daunting. We didn't have any money. We we didn't have that much experience. But we just started small, using hand tools, and just like doing it. And, and not really aware that it was supposed to be ridiculously hard and impossible to do because we were just kind of like new to this. Yeah. And, and over the year, we just crafted our, the art of it. And, and at one point, you know, we kind of figured out how to do it, you know, successfully. And, and that, was, that was a few years in the making, but still, you know, it's, it's definitely possible to do it. Yeah. One thing in your book, um, I know you said now, I think initially... Now you guys were renting a property first and then you, you bought like a, an old, it was an old rabbit farm and, and you know, it's only three acres. So something else too, to just for the listeners, if you're not familiar with JM, I definitely pick up his book. You can go to his website. Um, I think it's, if you just, if you just Google search the market gardener, is it, is it, is it just, it, what's the website? Uh, I should really have this. I'm an awful it's host. It's marketgardener.com. I thought it was. Yeah, they can they can see all they can read the first few chapters also on the website. Yeah, and so one thing too, um, so I mean, definitely pick up his book. But you know, when you, when you started, it, you said you know you guys invested in about you know forty thousand dollars worth of tools. Now that was that all up front, or would you say that was a, a probably over the time of how much money you spent on tools? So, okay, so the story was that we were farming hand tools on rented land. We were doing about a fifth of an acre. And at one point, we had been doing this for four years. 
And we were doing this uh, previously in New Mexico, and then we moved back to Quebec because that's where our roots are. We wanted to get established here. And, <clears throat> you know, we just we just wanted to have our own place. So we bought this rabbit coop. And that was a two-and-a-half-acre prairie. And, and that was the start of the project of, of where we are now. And, 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 and so what happened there is that we really wanted to scale up production because we wanted to pay for mortgage. We wanted to have enough income to buy, you know, uh, material to build our house. And so we invested some money to have new equipment, new machinery, we bought a couple of, of hoop houses and, and it, ad- it ended up costing around 40 grand. And so, $40,000 when you're starting might seem like a lot of money, but you know, if you get a loan, let's say at 10% because you don't have any credit, yeah, you know, it's just 10%, uh, uh, 40 on, on five years, you'll pay about 8,000 or 9,000 a year, which if you compare it to how much you can generate on, you know, one acre, if you know what you're doing, it's just, it's, it's minimal. So it was good enough for us to get started. And basically, we've been using these tools ever since. So they've been paid for it a long time ago. Yeah, no, definitely. Because right now, I think you said, and it might be more now, but I know in your book, you said you, you guys are, are you're generating about $140,000 in revenue a year just on you know that small portion of land, which is awesome. You guys have a surplus, you have employees, and you guys still have a lot of time and freedom. Um, and I, and, and I think it's, 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 I think it's awesome. Like, and I, and I think so personally for me, like starting, so let's say somebody in my shoes who is just starting in their yard and here in the States, like I know in the, in the, so I have, I just, I just moved into a property that I'm renting from a buddy in the city and in the city here, like I can, I can take over like an abandoned city property for like 10 bucks a year. And I can also grow food on that and just turn it into a community garden now, for somebody starting on that small of a scale, now I know you you recommend in your book to um, to to try to work to go to like a market garden and try to work and learn the craft more there. Now, like so for 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 more of an alternative, like like so for urban farming, like how do you think? Because um, I, I definitely think it 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 like things are going to carry over from what you're doing into an urban environment. Um, what would you kind of recommend for somebody to, to really start and look into like when they're getting focused? Well, I, I think you, you've said it just right, man. You're doing, yeah, you're doing it. You're growing food and man, that's, that's the whole thing. So you're doing it. And you know, people, people out in the countryside, they can be in their garden, people in the city, you know, they can be in, in, in urban plots or community gardens. But the fact that you're doing it, is that you're 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 in, in relationship with plants and with yeah. soil, and at one point, you know, it, it becomes this storyline where you can ask yourself, you know, do I want to do this for more than just a hobby? Do I want to create a small business with this? Absolutely. And the thing that has changed in the last, you know, ten years is that now there's a market for locally grown organic food because people are so aware of how nasty the, the, the produce you get from the, from the, the superstores, how they're bad for your health. So that raised awareness is create a market demand. And for anyone that wants to invest his time, 
and his you know entrepreneurial spirit to learn this well there you go yeah. there you're there you are growing food and selling it to people who want to buy it and next thing you know, you're just kind of always wanting to do a bit more, a bit more, a bit more. And then <laughs> and then you go from a tiny plot to a micro farm. And then who knows, you know, you, you can come, still have a, a tiny thing or you can, you know, these things, they <laughs> 10, 10 years later, there you are, you know, and you're, you're farming full time. So that's yeah. kind of what happened to us, actually. <laughs> yeah. So because well, so because when you guys first started, so like getting more into your story and so when you first started, um like how long did it because i mean i mean the biggest thing that i got out of your book is to be successful at this not only like learning the craft of the farming which actually you know the the craft of the farming i think is probably the easier thing the hard physical labor it seems more that the the harder part of it is the planning and like really yep. having having everything set and like learning what what is to go next and learning how to get a, a good crop rotation down. How long, and, and I know you, you spent some time before you had your own farm. How long did it take you and your wife to really get that down, like dialed in? Cause I know it's probably always a well, work in progress. <clears throat> well, th- that's a great question, Drew, because you know, you've said that, that number, you know, we, last year we sold for more than a hundred thousand dollars of produce and you know, we're the, we're deriving both our salaries from that acre and a half plot. And, and that's the number that people have in their mind. They're like, Oh, okay, we can do this. But you know, it took us a few years to get there and, and, and we had to learn some of this. And we also had to learn not, not, not to, we had to grow our client base as we were kind of learning how to grow more professionally ourselves. So it, it, kind of took us a few years to get to a point where we were generating both of our income from our, you know, growing activities. But if I had a book, if I had written, you know, read a book like the market gardener when I started, it would have saved me, you know, five years of figuring all of this out because pretty much everything that's in, in the market gardener is just a common sense approach to small scale farming. Yeah. And and it's it's crazy that we forgot about all of this because all the farms are mechanized. Yeah. And and when you bring a tractor into a cropping system, it just completely changes the system. Everything goes from intensive to extensive and that's a different ball game altogether. And so you know, I guess again, the fact that we weren't coming from a rural background, we didn't have any exposure to farming. We weren't that compelled about the tractor. We weren't thinking, oh, wow, we need a tractor. We were thinking, yeah, this is pretty great. We like these tools and, uh, you know, they're working for us. And why don't we just kind of deepen our understanding of how biology works and just take that route and, you know, replace mechanical tillage with, with biological tillage and use tarps and use broad forks and use all these tools that are available and on the cheap to us to create systems that are productive and and interesting to work in you know so that in a nutshell that's been the story but i think that for people that are interested in that again coming back to the first step is just to start to grow and just have fun doing it and you know you never know you might get hooked on it and yeah keep on doing it for a while yeah i think um you know something that I, i've heard you know you really stress in your book uh the gangster gardener and uh 
in South Central LA, uh, Ron Finley, he really stresses it's really just, you know, building the soil is the most important thing. Like just having that relationship with your soil in 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 it. And, uh, and, and I think that, that was really interesting because when I look at, you know, big farms, like, you know, I'm in Ohio and, you know, there's a lot of farmland here in Ohio and, you know, it, it's, it, it's interesting when I think about, you know, the relationship that you have when you, when you're, when you're doing like a, a micro farm with your hands versus, you know, getting in a tractor, it's, it's completely different. Like it's, it's, you know, one thing, um, you know, I, I remember younger when I, cause I've, I've always had this itch to want to grow food, but it was just like actually taking the step to, to position myself to do it was, um, you know, watching, uh, documentaries and, and seeing like, you know, most of the big farmers, they don't even make money without government subsidies. And there's no, and then yeah. another, and another interesting thing is too, there's no subsidies right. for like tomatoes and, and actual food. It's just like, corn and soy and uh wheat and it's um it's interesting like just you know farming i think you know when people think of what farming is it's kind of it's more of a bastardization of what farming actually should be if that makes sense that's kind of like reading your book and and putting everything together has kind of made me really have a bigger understanding of that well yeah and you're right and and you know these big farms they're there they were kind of created with this idea that we we needed to mechanize everything and specialize everything to get more yields. But actually, we now know for a fact that that's been pushed by the people that were selling these things, you know, either chemicals or tractors or implements, because these guys were making money while the farmers were kind of losing out in the deal. Yeah. And so... You know, one, one way to look differently at this is that you know, I've started to use the word growing and the word grower instead of farmer, not because, you know, farmers are not, but just like, just to, to re-emphasize the fact that that's what we're doing. Yeah. We're growing stuff. And, and that's core, and that's at the heart of how we need to see farming because it's about growing stuff from the soil and nurturing you know, plants that we need to eat. And so it's, you know, it's food made with care by people who care. And that makes a big, big difference in the the perception of people. And that's how we get to create relationships and market with them for local products. And so we kind of, we're not trying to replace these big farms. We're just saying, you know what, just, we're just going to do something different yeah. and it's appealing to a whole other generation who are interested in right food. And so, so that's how I see the evolution of all of this. Yeah. I heard you on the peak prosperity podcast and it was funny because you said like, and it's really, and it's really true. Like you said something about the success of your book and, and the success of, you know, your farm has a lot to do with that. It's actually really cool to grow food now. Like, it's like a cool thing to do. And that's like a really, for me, like looking at, you know, the, just, I guess, kind of like the, the, just the, the times that we're in now, I think that's really exciting personally. Like, I think it's exciting that people think it's cool to, to grow food because it's, and it's, and it's a weird thing too, because you're kind of a renegade when you, when you're doing this as well, just because you're doing something different. Yeah, well, um, uh, you know, the the grower is the new hipster, something like that. Yeah. 
And, and it's true. Like, you know, growing stuff is super cool and it is. And, and, you know, I, I, I think that we're reversing the trend by talking about growing food in a new way. And it's not to say that how traditionally we've done it is wrong or bad. It's not about that. It's just about looking at these things in new, in a new light. And, you know, our generation is really an internet generation, which for, for, for many things is wonderful, but it also involves that we're spending a lot of time in front of computer screens. Yeah. And, you know, there needs to be a balance between some of that and some of other things, i.e. being outside, either doing sport or being productive in your fields or in your garden, growing stuff. And I think more and more people are finding that that balance is also important, you know? And so that's why, you know, gardening is getting more and more popular. And, and, you know, I, I, I think that's a great, great thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I did have some questions about, um, just, uh, I know that you, when you first, cause when you first moved on to your, I was reading like after reading your book, um, cause I, I read it kind of quick and I'm going to go through and read it again. Um, once I start growing, cause I'm going to always probably use it as a reference. Um, with the, with the rabbit house that you guys converted, did you like knowing that you built earthships? Did you, did you, did you incorporate any, like any, uh, any, any, Earthship aspect into into the converting it into a human house. Um. Yeah. The way when we bought a rabbit barn, it was a big <laughs> forty by a hundred building, and we basically used a lot of earthship principles to design the house that we built. Like the instead of having a you know earth dug burn around the house, we have you know fifty feet of warehouse, and that's unheated. And then we have the house that has a south-facing slope. And so that was great because when we were building Earthship, Earthships are all about designs. That's what they are. They're not about tires. They're not about cans. They're about designs. And, and when I was young and, and starting, that word for, for me was new. Looking at things in, in terms of, of relationship and how you can use different objects or synergies to your advantage. And that was like, I had studied ecology, but I hadn't really understood or seen or studied how this can be applied in our everyday life. And so Earthships was like, wow, we're using waste materials to create things that, you know, embody energy from the sun and then releases, releases it in, in the night. And, and that got me so excited about that. And, so I've learned a lot because it was a practical application of designs. And, and I don't know if some of your listeners, you know, are into the permaculture stuff, but man, there's so many synergies that you can study and understand, and then you can apply them in what you're doing to make you more, you know, more effective, more efficient. And I've definitely used a lot of these designs or these, you know, I call this this lens to my farming to make to make to make my farm more productive in the end which is I think pretty cool. Yeah, I think it's super cool. Like I, I the I think your um it's like your your ultimate goal it seems like is, you know, get production as much as possible while, you know, maintaining a certain level of efficiency 
and uh, really compliment, like letting nature, letting nature, like using nature as a tool versus like some chemical or anything like that. Like it's. Uh, yeah. And Drew, one thing that's really important. You know, you could hear a lot of people on the radio or whatever. They talk about nature. They talk about these things and it sounds really great, but you don't really know what they're talking about. But when you're down to earth and when you're growing stuff, and we're talking about using, you know, the earthworm for plowing. This is this is reality. This is for real. This is this is not pie in the sky. We're really using these systems to our advantage and making us more effective and efficient in the process. And this is just a tipping point of of reclaiming nature in a way where we're using it to our advantage instead of trying to override it or overrun it and and that's the that's the brilliance of the modern man i think and, and you know i i could go on and on about all that but <laughs> i think that when we're when we're looking at nature as a partner for for something that is useful to us to everyone i think also that's a, that's a paradigm shift and then we can we can learn from it and then we can adapt our systems to it and again when you're growing stuff you can you can do this on an everyday basis, and you you know you're you're doing applied ecology, yeah. which is which I think pretty cool, and not a lot of you know job opportunities out there allow you to do that. No, definitely not. And um, you know something I I've looked into, um, which I I, I don't think I'm going to do it year one. I think year one I mainly just want to get my hands dirty and learn to grow. But yeah, definitely I want to incorporate like um like a like a tilapia like farm in the in a healthy sense and and do aquaponics i think that stuff's super cool too i think there there's just different different ways that you can it's just always using the waste as a resource i think that's that never yeah. throwing anything and, away and creating designs creating designs that are interlooped and that feed off one another and yeah that's smart and you get interested in that you know i don't know what your story is going to be like but you might end up doing this and, and perhaps, you know, at one point you won't be, you won't have a business out of it or whatever, but you'll have learned a lot of things along the way. Yeah. And then, you know, that way of looking at things can help you out perhaps in what you're going to do next. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Absolutely. No, I definitely, um, yeah, there's, there's, I think that the exciting thing is, especially like, um, you know, when I, when I first started, when I first decided to, to jump in, um, I, the same friend that recommended the book to me, my friend Joel, um, you know, he was really even just breaking down like, you know, like you can create a small business out of pretty much every aspect of it, whether it be, you know, your compost, you can sell your compost, you could sell your soil if you wanted to. Um, ideally, though, I, I think it'd, it'd be better just to kind of create a you know, a, a nice ecosystem. And I think, you know, something that, uh, I thought was, was awesome was how much, uh, compost you ended up buying because it's, it's, uh, I know you, you said you generate your own, but like, you end up just buying compost just because it's, it's a, it's a healthy investment and it, and it's so much, it's so good for your food. It's so good for your plants. Um, I, th compost, I think too, yeah. Keep going, sorry. And, and, and you and you read, Drew, that you know we buy compost because we don't have a lot of land and we yeah. don't have a tractor with a loader. Yeah. So to make forty tons of compost, yeah. and to turn it to turn it with a shovel, be, you know, or a pitchfork would be a lot of work. 
yeah, while that, we're already super busy yeah, be tending the crop. So, job. But I, I like that example a lot because, <clears throat> you know, 20 years ago, you would talk to people and, and it was all about self-reliance. You had the back to the land people or you had people, you know, living in the countryside trying to be as self-reliant as possible. That was like the, that was the way to escape the madness of modern world. Yeah. And I think now this has kind of changed where perhaps you don't want to be self-reliant. You want to be collaborating with other like-minded people. And so if I'm buying compost from these compost geeks that are, you know, so fully into enthusiastic about making compost and I'm creating this relationship with them. then you know, I think this is perhaps even better because now I'm creating community around something that is positive. And so that's just another way to look at uh, instead of being, you know, totally independent. Well, you want to be dependent, but yeah. you want to be nurturing these relationships, you know? Yeah. I mean, it reminds me of, uh, you know, when I was in my early 20s, um, you know, a mentor recommended reading Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, Stephen Covey really focused on was striving for interdependence. And I think, you know, and I, and I think that's kind of what we're talking about is, is becoming interdependent. Like, you know, knowing somebody that's really good at making soil. So if, you know, if for some reason that something's wrong with your soil, which uh, something else you really recommend is soil testing. And somebody, had, mm-hmm. and I had heard that, um, you know, radishes are kind of natural. Um, I think it's radishes are natural soil testers. Is that, are you familiar with that? Well, you know, perhaps in a way. And um, so that would be, if you grow radishes and they're great, that means your soil is perfect? Or would that mean that if you're growing radishes and you're not, <laughs> then, you know, there's different ways to look at this. Is it your spacing? Is it because they're not, they're lacking water? Is it because it's too hot for yeah. them? You know, each, each crop has their own set of particular things that you need to care for. But, you know, there's, you know, these all things, sometimes there's foundation in that and that one i don't i don't really know so i wouldn't want to go on air and give a yeah you know, I, make I, a fool out of myself well i don't it. i don't i don't really know either I, i'm still like really green at this and, and i'd heard that but i mean i definitely think you know testing your soil i think you know it's kind of like meeting science with nature i mean i, I definitely think you know if you are going to use science um you know obviously you know don't use don't use chemicals just to try to you know kill weeds which ultimately kills your soil, use science to test your soil so you can make your own adjustments. And then, you know, and, and, and I think that's, I mean, that's, that's the biggest thing. I mean, not, don't try to replace nature, like try to try to complement nature. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's the wave of the future. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and then something else, uh, I had read, which was interesting, was um, you had mentioned in your book about um, you'll you'll have some laborers that come and work, and uh, laborers are good, and it's good to teach people how to farm, but they're not the most efficient for getting work done, which uh, which is totally makes sense. I mean, but uh, how how long like how long did it take you guys to get to the point where you know did you have to advertise to get help, or did was that something that just kind of naturally happened? 
Well, it didn't naturally happen, but what we did is that we we created a space. Okay. The farm was a space, and then, you know, we created a place where we could have people here and uh, a communal kitchen, and that just kind of, like, opened the door for people to to drop in. And, and at first, that's how we were doing things. People would drop in, and then we would work with them for a few weeks, and then we would leave, and then... You know, as as you get, I wouldn't say more serious, but more committed to this, you know, to farming and to the hardships of having, you know, working all day, every day on that. And you, you kind of stream, we kind of streamlined the orientation of, of, of how we would have people here and that it was more formalized. And, but we've been, we've been having people on the farm for like 12 years now, 13 years. And it's just, it's been wonderful, the amount of super bright, you know, cool people that we've met. And then we share, we share a bit of who we are, they share a bit of who they are. And, you know, between that, we just, we just learn from each other and and we appreciate each other. We have communal meals uh, once a day at the farm. And so we're all together. And then I have two kids. Uh, which are begging for me to read the story now with them, but you know they, 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 you know they've learned from all these young people that came through the farm over the years, and I, I just think that that's a great setup. Talking about an alternative lifestyle, but having the opportunity to create a space for people to come in and do hands-on work is is something really cool. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And then uh, one more question, then I'll let you. Uh take over and get to your dad duties um um, you know one thing uh you'd kind of said was uh i don't know why this stuck in my head but when you're talking about a cold room um building a cold room and the bins that you hold things in and you said you've kind of been on this journey to find the perfect bin and i think you know this, this is a good business opportunity for somebody to make good bins so what would the perfect bin entail? Like what would that, you know, what, what ideally do you think would be the perfect bin? It sounds, sounds silly, but I'm just like, man, there's a, there's a, there's a market for that. Well, yeah. Well, <clears throat> the problem with the perfect bin is that each of them have their own characteristics that are, you know, good for certain vegetables and not as good for others. And so it ends up being that you need about seven of them different to really be you have the perfect bin for each vegetable. And so there's a compromise to be made about certain qualities. Some of them stack, some of them don't. Some of them have holes in the bottom because they need to drain. Some of them, that's not what you want. And so, you know, we've been buying Rubbermaids, the better ones. Yeah. And we used them for four or five years and then they're, they kind of, they're kind of going on and, so far, that strategy of just recycling these old Rubbermaids, but having having them has been kind of what worked. And so, still looking for that perfect for perfect bin. And you know, if, <laughs> if some people found them, they can email me, and uh, we'll I'll, we'll go from there. Sounds good. Well, everybody, um, go to themarketgardener.com. Um, especially even, I think even if you just want to grow a garden, I think it's a great book to read and I think it, it, it can definitely broaden your horizons and it kind of really does a great job of introducing you to how fun this world is. And I think, uh, you know, it, it's a fountain of knowledge and it has great references for other books that you could purchase 
to, to compliment um, JM's book. Um, so go to that. I, I bought both the, the paperback and the Kindle version. Uh, while you're at it, if you want to keep, if you want to um, follow what, what JM is doing in his day to day, you can go and follow him on Twitter. He's at JM underscore underscore for T, which or, for T, I think I butchered your last name. I'm sorry, um, JM. <laughs> but F-O-R-T-I-E-R. Yeah. So follow him um, on Twitter. Uh, there's some other good podcasts that he's done, so you can search for him in however you find podcasts. I can also give you a scoop, Drew, if you want. Absolutely. And, and that is that as of this year, I'm getting involved with a new tool company. And that company is called Growers and & Company. And you can check it out, growers.co. And I'm fully invested in, in creating better gear, better rain boots, better rain pants, and just finding different stuff that we need as growers to have our work done more professionally or just more cool. And so I'm starting that with a bunch of other market gardeners and some, you know, Curtis Stone, the urban farmer. I don't know if you heard about that guy. He's, he's really amazing. But we're, we're, we're really working with the community to try to come up with better, better gear. So if, if your listeners have thoughts or if they want to follow it, they can, they can check it out. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, sir, thank you so much for your time. It took us a little bit to uh, make this happen, but I'm glad we did. And, um, and everybody, thanks again for listening. All right. Have a good one, guys. Happy growing. 